Sing with me if you will. Peace, peace. I have wonderful peace. It's coming down from the Father above. Come on, raise your voices loud. reminded this week of something that I've known for many, many years. When we truly have faith in the Word of God and what God says His promises are, the way that we trust that is to come to a place of peace. We recognize that He does not lie to us. His promises are what? Yes and Amen. So we come to a place many times concerning our circumstances and situations and we find ourselves at a place of peace. And then the enemy who sees us in that place of peace begins sending information our way for the express purpose of taking our peace away from us. And if we're not careful and we don't guard our peace, we can lose that and we can move from faith to doubt very quickly. And just this week, and I asked my wife, I said, you know, concerning this situation, I've been telling her all week, I have peace about this, I have peace about this, I have peace about this. And this morning, when I spoke to her, I said, I want you to pray for me that I will keep my peace because the devil is trying to steal it from me. He's trying to take my peace away from me. And the Bible tells me that I must guard my heart. Peace dwells in our heart. And when the enemy tries to steal your peace, you have to fight back and declare that what God says is true. And I will stand in His promises and not what I'm feeling. And it just came to me as we were singing that there may be many people in this house today that you're facing a situation in your life that you weren't expecting, you didn't ask for it, you didn't call it in, it found you. It was brought to you by the enemy of your soul, the devil out to kill you and steal from you and to destroy you don't forget that Jesus came so that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly that is where your peace is
Because regardless of what the enemy says or does, you can always know it's a lie. He is the father of lies. Jesus will never lie to you. His promise is always yes and amen. And that's where you must stand. I want us to go back and sing this one or two more times. And if you're dealing with that struggle, as I have been, I want you to just say, Lord, I'm transitioning back into my peace. The scripture asks us this question, whose report will you believe? Let me ask you today, whose report will you believe? The devil's or Jesus? So as we sing it again, renew your place of peace in Jesus. Come on, sing it with me. Just the voices in the house. Come on, sing it. of God that are filling this room I pray that you will feel liberty to bring peace to the hungry hearts that long for that today we realize that this comes from the heavenly realm it is not something that we can generate in the flesh it must be spiritual and it must be based upon your word and your promises And so, Lord, as we focus our attention upon you, and you said in your word, you told us, Thou wilt keep us in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon you. Lord, I'm determining in my mind and in my heart today that I will focus my thoughts upon you and your promises, because it's in that environment. I know that I will be in perfect peace. Thank you, Lord. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, will you just lift your hands and thank the Lord for the touch of peace in your mind and in your heart. Just give Him praise today. Give Him praise. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Woo! 
now look at your neighbor and say, I feel much better. How about you? Praise the Lord. It's good to see you in the Lord's house this morning. I'm delighted that you've chosen to come and be with us. I have been looking forward to this day and this service as we gather together. Because when two or more are gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us he will be here among us and with us. And so I'm thankful for that. Well, I want to take a moment and thank all of you who have uh, called me this week. You've emailed me. You've texted me. You've uh, spoke face-to-face with me to make sure that I was aware about this revival that's taking place at Asbury. And, uh, of course, I, I have heard about it. I heard about it when it initially uh, started hitting the news feeds. And, and many of you have asked me what I think about it and what my opinion is about it. And my answer to you is, is that you can't always explain what God is doing among His people. And so I don't, I don't know that I can give you a point one, two, and three about what's happening I can tell you since the last time that I checked, this same awakening is happening all over the nation, in college campuses, everywhere. Our own college in Cleveland, Tennessee, is now uh, several days in a same type of movement and awakening as at Asbury. God is not a respecter of persons, and whoever will cry out and call out to Him, He will meet them where they are. And so he will do it, amen? But as I was meditating on I've talked to my pastor friends and tried to pick their brains and see what their thinking is, and I don't know that there's any of us that really can say what's going on other than I know that the Scripture says that if we will draw nigh unto God, He will draw nigh unto us. And so... My thinking is threefold, and I think this may be part of what's happening. And the first is that came to my mind is that we're seeing open sanctuaries. And here's what places where people can feel free to go and feel safe to interact with God. Some of them don't even know about Jesus, but they're drawn through it, they're drawn to it by the Holy Spirit. And in that environment, they're finding that there is a God in this earth that is moving. And they are drawn to that movement. They are drawn to Jesus. Churches won't be the same. We'll start doing things differently than we've ever done before. I remember saying to you, it's been months ago now as we were coming out of COVID. Everybody said, I can't wait until we get back to normal Church, we're never going back to normal. Jesus is coming again, and He is coming soon. And He's coming for those who are not satisfied with normal, but they are satisfied in looking for the outpouring and the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And it's happening all around us. So I think it will affect our sanctuaries and the way that we do church and the way that we open our hearts to Him and the way that we worship. And the way that we've done things before may not be suitable for what God is wanting to do in these last days. And we've got to be open to that. And that brings me to my second thought. It's happening in people who have open hearts. If you were stubborn before and you're still stubborn now, then go on back home because you're not going to receive a thing. But when you open your heart to the movement of the Holy Spirit 
and the movement of God in our lives, He will do things in your life that you never thought could happen. It will be, unima- it will be it will beyond your imagination. You will not be able to really even understand until it happens. But God is coming and meeting with people who have open hearts. And that's the reason we're having a prayer service tonight. I, I am not trying to mimic anything. I'm not try- I have no agenda. I don't feel like it's going to look exactly like something else. I, I don't know. I just know that the scripture says that we must seek the Lord while he may be found. I don't want to be guilty of not seeking the Lord in the moment and in the time and in the season when He is pouring out His Spirit upon this earth. I want to be like the old-time preachers that said, I want to be under the spout where the glory falls out. And wherever that is and however that is, pour it on me. Some of you sent me texts and pictures a few weeks ago on Super Bowl Sunday said you ought to be as happy and joyful about uh, church as you are the Super Bowl and pour out Gatorade on your pastor this coming Sunday. Well, if that's what it takes, let me know. I'll wear my wetsuit next week and we'll just have a good old time. But not only that, I believe that when we come with open hearts, what I'm sensing in my spirit is that we will experience an open heaven. You see, where, where we live in this earth has to be spiritual. It has to come from the heavenly realm. If we just try to do what we can do, we're not going to accomplish a whole lot. But when we open ourselves to what God can do, He will pour out upon His people blessings that we aren't even able to contain. So I don't know how to describe it to you. I don't know how to explain it to you. I just know that it's happened many times throughout the course of history that we've seen awakenings like this. I remember the Jesus movement, the hippies. How many of you were a hippie at one time? They came flooding into places and worshiping on beaches and in the sand and on quads. And then they filtered into the churches. And many of the people who lead church congregations today were hippies that originally came in with no shoes on and peace necklaces hanging on their neck. But God did a work in that and he moved in that and he built his church. So I don't know what it will look like. But I am telling you, I'm going to seek the Lord while he may be found. And I encourage you to do the same as well. So tonight when we gather, it's just one of those times. Jonathan said it right. I don't have an agenda. I don't know what it will look like. I just know that when you walk in the door at 5 o'clock, you just need to start praying. And you need to start worshiping. If you need to walk, walk. If you need to lay down in the floor, lay down in the floor. If you need to kneel at a chair, kneel at a chair. If you need to sit in a chair, sit in a chair. If you need to be on the platform, come on up here. I ain't scared of you. I'm not even going to be up here tonight. I'm going to be just one of the boys and girls. And together, we're just going to honor Jesus and worship Him. And so I pray that you'll join us tonight. Five o'clock, what about the kids? Well... Bring your kids. I'm not afraid for them to be in the sanctuary. I'm not afraid for them to witness. You got teenagers? 
Man, get them here. Let's see what God will do in our lives and in our church. I think it's time, don't you? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. As you know, February, we have uh, coined this I Love My Church Month, and we've been talking about various aspects of the church and, and what that looks like and what it means to us. And so today I want, to, um, I want to talk about this idea of love dwelling within the body of Christ. Love advancing, love growing. You know, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I just sensed that I needed to, to pray for you. And we we had one of those prayer services, and we, we just had people coming through the line. And, and I told you, I said, I'm not quitting until I pray for everybody that wants prayer today. Prayed for everybody that came through. It's one of those rare occasions when I actually asked people to tell me what it is that was troubling them and how could I pray with you. Because there are times we just need to agree on behalf of a thing that we're praying for. And during that prayer service, I was, I was amazed, a little bit surprised, a little bit shocked at the number of people that walked through the line. And when I asked them what they needed me to help them pray about, they said to me, I need healing in my relationship. I need a healing in my marriage. I need a healing between me and my spouse. I need a healing in my relationship with my neighbor. I need a healing in my relationship with my work. I need healing in my relationships. And it began to dawn on me that there are times when it seems like that our relationships are suffering. And that's another place where the devil really tries to attack us. When he tries to get us at odds, either in our home or in our church. I have discovered through the years that people come and people go because they have been at odds in relationships. But I think it's time for us to stay put and say, God, help me to learn what I need to learn so that my relationship will be healthy. So today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this idea of advancing love in our church and advancing love in our homes, advancing love in our relationships. So Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. And they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day... They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house, and they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God 
and enjoying the favor of all the people. Did you see that? Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. I pray now that you will allow me to speak in such a way that our hearts will be encouraged and edified, that our revelation knowledge will climb to a new level and we will be able to experience things in our lives unlike ever before so that we can be stronger, so that we can be more effective in our lives and more effective witnesses in the world that we live in. We ask it in Jesus' lovely name, amen. Aren't you glad for love? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We can love one another and we can love God because He first loved us. The Scripture tells us that God is love. It doesn't say that God possesses love. It doesn't say that God has love. It says that God is love. Everything he says and does is motivated by his great love for us. Can I just pause for a moment and say to someone in this house today, you are here and you have this belief that God is out to get you that he is angry at you, that he is trying to destroy you, that he hates you, that he has no love whatsoever for you. Let me tell you that whatever those thoughts in your mind are, they did not come from Scripture and they did not come from God. God does not hate you. He is not out to get you. He is a God who is love. And everything that he does in your life is motivated by his love for you. So today I want to talk about this idea of love advancing. So I have three simple thoughts that I want to share with you today. And the first one is this. Love evolves. In other words, love grows over time. Now, you heard me talk about one of my favorite movies that I've ever watched. It's an old movie. It's called Shenandoah. And the star of the show is Jimmy Stewart. How many of you remember Jimmy Stewart? And then Douglas McClure is also in the movie as well. And I've talked to you about this before and how that Jimmy Stewart asked Doug McClure, when he came to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage, here's how he responded. The Bible says his character's name was Charlie Anderson. Charlie said, do you like her? And Lieutenant Sam said, well, I just told you, and Charlie interrupted him, and he said, no, no, you just said you loved her. Son, there is some difference between loving and liking. And when I married Jenny's mother, I I didn't love her, but I liked her. 
I liked her a lot. I liked Martha for at least three years after we were married, and then one day it just dawned on me that I loved her, and I still do. I still do. So you see, Sam, when you love a woman without liking her, the night can be long and cold, and contempt comes up with the sun. Now, that is a powerful storyline right there. And what he is saying here is, is that our relationships always start with this liking of someone. Whether it's a spouse, whether it's a boyfriend, whether it's a girlfriend, whether it's your neighbor, you, you have a connection with them and you like them, or maybe it's your boss at work. There are some bosses that you don't like all that much, but there are some that you just like them. And the truth of the matter is, is there's this beginning of a relationship, this stepping on to the relationship wagon that begins at a low level of simply liking someone. I remember when I came to interview to be your pastor, there were people who immediately did not like me, and there were people who chose to give me a chance and kind of like me, and then there were people who said, I just like him. I, I had people say, I don't know why I like you. I had one person say, I don't even feel like I should like you, but I do like you. And through the years, I'm hoping that not only do you like me, but I'm hoping that you love me. But now while you're thinking about that, let me just tell you that I felt the same way about you. When I first looked at you, I thought, I don't know if I like them or not. But I'm going to give them a chance. And I'll like them a little. And then I liked them a little more. And then I liked you a little more than that. And now I just can't help myself. I absolutely just love you. But it all started in this phase of liking one another. So here's my question to you today. Where do you think your relationship is with your spouse? Do you still like your husband? Do you still like your wife? I say, well, I love her. Well, that doesn't count because that's different. Because what Jimmy Stewart is saying here is that you can love something, but if you don't like it, you won't want to spend any time. You won't want to give them the time that is necessary to work on that relationship. So let me say something. I, in all the years that I've done marital counseling and sat down with couples, here's the thing that most drives people apart from one another is they stop liking each other. They evolve, but they don't evolve together. The men decide that they like bow hunting, and so they bow hunt all the time. Or they like, they like gun season, and so they go hunting all the time. Or they like fishing. And so they get them a boat and they go fishing and sit out on the water all day long and leave mama at home. They find something that they evolve into, but they evolve into that thing without taking the spouse along on the journey. 
And here's what I'm going to say to you today. If you want to like your spouse again and if you want your love to grow, the two of you need to evolve together. I've seen, I don't know how many times, women who when their children come, all of a sudden they forget that they still have a husband to love too. That they still have a husband to like. But when the kids come, it's like, you just go in the other room and stay there for about 18 years or until I scream out loud, needing your help. And when you come, you can help me, but then you got to go right back. Did you know in the Navajo Nation that they have a house outside the main house for the dad? Because the wife does not want him in the main house because she's afraid that more kids will come if he stays in the house. I'm telling you the truth now. I've been there. I've studied it. And so they put him outside in the house, get him a satellite dish and put it on top of the hogan they call them, get him a good recliner so that he can sit out there and smoke and drink and whatever it is that they do, but he's not allowed into the house. And you know what happens? They evolve differently and they become different people and they come to a place where they no longer love one another. Don't you want to love your spouse? Can I see your hands? Raise your hand up loud and proud if you want. Well, then evolve with them. I thought about my wife and I through the years, 44 plus years, and we've evolved together. We're together all the time. And it's not a chore for me, and it's hopefully not a chore for her. But we've always tried to find something that we like together. We always try to find something, whether there, we, we went through the phase where we had a camper. We got rid of the camper. We got us a convertible. We'd put the top down and take off driving. I always took her with me because I wanted to see her hair blow in the wind. We found things to do. We're back to the camper now. And now we're talking about going away from the camper and going back to the convertible. I don't know what the next phase is going to be, but I know one thing. She and I are going to do it together whether you like it or not. Because she's mine. And we have evolved together. Now let me tell you that the same principle that applies together in our relationships applies in our church as well. We can't be the same church that we were 12 years ago. And we can't be the same church that we were 25, 30, 40, 45 years ago. Can't be. Because the world has changed. The world has evolved. And if we stay stuck in the methods of yesteryear, then we will never reach a contemporary group of people. One of the things that sticks out to me about this revival, this awakening is that they're not drawn to a personality. There aren't any big name preachers standing on the stage. They're not wearing skinny jeans up there with their hair tipped and blonde. They're not up there with all of the fancy stuff. They don't have lights and smoke machines. They don't have big bands. They don't have, they, it's just an organic group of people that are coming together and they've got their focus on one thing and that is Jesus Christ and Him, him sacrificed. And so that's what it takes. You say, Lord, I want to evolve with you. I, don't, I may not know what it looks like, but let me just say this right here before I get to say it. You folks that sit back here in this corner, our senior adults, 
Those of you who have been around here for a long, long time, I want you to be proud of what's going on at Asbury. And I want you to be proud of what's going on at these other college campuses. You know why? Because I know why it's happening in those places. It's because of your prayers. It's because of the price that you've paid. It's because of your sacrifices. It's because of all these years that you've said, pour out your spirit fresh and new upon our land. It's because of you that our young people are flooding into these places and seeking after God. You paid the price. And so I encourage you every time you get a new report, every time you see it on the news, every time you hear about what's happening in that environment, I want you to grin and smile from ear to ear and throw up your hands and say, Thank you, Jesus, because I know you've heard my prayer as I have cried out on behalf of my nation. You said, If if my people shall humble themselves and pray, seek God, turn from their wicked ways, And I'll hear from heaven. And that's exactly what's happening right now. It's because of people like you. And I'm thankful for you and the fact that whatever the future holds in my life and the the life of this church, it's going to be because of people like you who heat up heaven with your prayers. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. There's a story told. I know that you've read it and heard about it many, many times. But it is after the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus comes and he gets with with Peter on the shoreline and notice this conversation. Jesus says, or the word says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then he said, shepherd my sheep. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death that Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Now, to understand this passage of Scripture properly, you have to understand the context and the original language that is being used here. We have it all broken down for us, but what Jesus was getting Peter to say is, is that you want to love me like I'm your buddy. You want to love me with phileo love, which means, hey dude, how you doing? Where are we going to eat hot wings at this week? Where are we going to go play pool? Where are we going to go and do this or that? You're my buddy. You're my dude. And that's okay. 
But what Jesus was trying to get him to see is, is that he was going to have to develop an agape love, which is a divine love, which is the kind of love that will see you through circumstances when a phileo love will not be able to get you through it. You know why? Friends, family, they will desert you. People who are your dudes today may not be your dudes tomorrow. Some of the dudes that you're hanging with right now are dudettes. You know, I understand they're dudettes too. But if you're hanging with some dudettes and some dudes that aren't good for you, you may need to sever that relationship. And they may choose to sever that relationship because they don't like where you're going in terms of the Spirit. You've got to have something beyond just a dude in your life. You've got to have something beyond a dudette in your life. You have to have a Savior in your life that you can love in the realm of the Spirit unlike any other. And that's what Jesus was saying to Peter. You've got to love me stronger. Your mature must be more than just that phileo love that you're talking about. You're going to have to love me with agape love because I'm telling you there are things that you're going to go through that a dude love will not help you with. But if you love me with an agape love, then you'll be able to bring glory to God. There's another thing that I want to share with you this morning, and it is this. Love is meant to edify others. Now, we're taught in Scripture, in the world today, excuse me, that we got to love ourselves more than we love anybody else. And listen, self-love is important. If you don't love yourself, you'll have a hard time loving anybody else. But here's where the problem comes in. We oftentimes start loving ourselves with such regularity that now we can't love anybody else because it interferes with our love for ourselves. It's all about me. It's what I want. It's how I want you to make me feel. It's how I can be edified. I want people in my life that only edify me. I don't want people that challenge me. I don't want people that irritate me. I don't want people that I have to struggle to remain in a relationship with. I want only people who love me for what I know that I am. And if you don't love me the way that I love myself, then get out of my life. Let me ask you this question. Who's going to help them mature? Who's going to lead them to Christ? Who's going to help them become all that they can be? If you remove them from your life, then you will not have the influence that God wants you to have to be able to help them and minister to them. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 says this. You can see it on the screen. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Why would you need to be patient if everybody pleases you all the time? You don't. So you have to put that kind of love aside. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. I'm pausing some just for effect in case you didn't hear it. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. 
Did you ever hear anybody say, that's just the way I am. You knew that. That's just the way I am. It's the way I was. My mama taught me to be irritable. My daddy taught me to be irritable. I've always been irritable. But you know what? Stop being irritable. Start, start being Christ-like. You might have more friends. Does not keep a record of wrong. I remember back in 1953. When you said such and such to me and I've held on to it all these years. Well, good for you. Somebody pin a medal on them. They have a good memory. Wouldn't it be much better if you just forgive the wrong and move on? I tell you what, I don't want to live in yesterday. Verse 6, love finds no joy, say no joy, in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Now, I don't want anybody to say amen. Don't want anybody to raise your hands. Don't want anybody to respond because I don't want to know. But just a couple of weeks ago in the Super Bowl and the Grammy Awards and things of that nature, we turned our TVs on. We watched singers sing about things that are unrighteous. We watched Sam Smith I didn't watch Sam Smith. I can't tell you the last time that I watched the Grammy Awards because I don't need their opinion in my life. But a man, I think he's a man. He doesn't think he's a man. He says he's non-binary. And I'm not going there today. I'm not trying to make anybody mad today. But it just simply means that I don't know if I'm a male or a female or somewhere in the middle. Well, I'll tell you what you are. You are what God made you to be. Sang a song called Unholy. Demonic. And Christians all over the United States of America turned it on and watched it. Kids watched it. So what are, you, what are you getting at? I thought you were talking about love. I am. We have a responsibility to love righteousness. And when we love unrighteousness more than we love righteousness, there's something in our soul and in our spirit that needs to be fixed by the power of God. Well, I wasn't asking for that. But I'm just telling you, we have to love righteousness. Turn the TV. Turn, turn the channel off. Don't love unrighteousness. I, I, you know, I, I get a little frustrated even in my own flesh when I see high-profile people stand behind podiums and say, I'd like to begin by thanking my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay. I can live with that. Then why don't you start living the way that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would like for you to live and not become so drunk that you say and do things that you later regret, like giving a Super Bowl. Oh, I wasn't going I, I to do that. The Bible says, Be not drunk with wine in excess but be filled with the Spirit of God. So if your Lord and Savior is working in you, let Him work some stuff out of you so that you don't love unrighteousness, but instead rejoice in the truth. Everybody okay?
Still got your seat belts on? Because I ain't done yet. Bears all things. Verse 7. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Now if I were to ask you in these four verses of Scripture, what is the common denominator? The common denominator here is this. Love expressed in this way edifies others. And it's about them. And it's not about you. And so, if it's going to work, if love is going to work the way that God designs it to work, then we must be about loving other people in such a way that we modify our own attitudes and we modify our own actions and we modify things about us so that the other person can be edified. Amen. One other, one other thing and then I'll quit. Take a deep breath. Say, thank God he's almost done. I wish I'd have gone to Asbury today instead of coming here. Here's the last thing that I want to say, and it is this. Love excels. And here's what I mean by that. Love is greater than anything else, according to Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. It says, now these three remain. Faith, hope, and what? And then he doesn't stop there, but he says this, but the greatest of these is love. So does that mean love is greater than faith? Well, that must be true because that's what the Word of God says. Is love greater than hope? That must be true because that's what the Word of God says. So how do we figure that out? How do we say we have faith, we have hope, we have love? We talk about being people of faith. We talk about hoping for the future. We talk about all those things. But he says the greatest of these is love. Well, let me give you a couple of opinions here. The the theologians who have studied this say that it's possible that what he's saying here is that there will come a time in history when you will no longer need faith. There will come a time when you will no longer need hope. When would that time be? Eternity. When we leave this earth, you're not going to have to have faith in heaven because everything will be revealed to you. You will see it in reality. The way that it is. You won't have to wake up in heaven and say, Boy, I hope that it doesn't rain today. I hope that today is not cold. I hope that my husband or my wife has a good attitude today. I hope that my kids are on their best behavior. I hope that I don't feel bad. I hope that I don't feel sick. I hope that God will do this. I hope that God... No, you won't need that. Why? Because all of our needs will be met in heaven. Everything that we could have ever thought to hope for will be freely distributed when we're in heaven. So we won't have to have faith in heaven. We won't have to have hope in heaven, according to the theologians. 
But you know what will exist in heaven? Love. And it will exist like you've never known it before. You will love people that you didn't even know were going to be there. (laughs) They somehow slid in. They somehow got past your judgment. And Jesus loved them enough to let them come in. And you know what? You won't have to work at loving them. You won't have to say, well, I really wasn't expecting to see you, so I'm going to have to alter the way I've been thinking about you. No, it's going to be a natural, organic thing that just springs from our spirit. And we're going to love people we never thought we could love. We're going to be loved by people that maybe at one time hated our ever-living guts. But when we get there, love is going to exist. We're going to love Jesus like we've never loved Him before. We're going to love the Holy Spirit in an all-new level of love. We're going to love the Father in a way that we can't even comprehend at this point. But love will last forever. But there's another thought about this idea about love is the greatest of them all. And it is this. Love is the only thing that will change your relationships. Faith won't. You can pray for your spouse. You can pray for your church. And you can even believe it. You can have hope that your spouse will act differently. You can hope that your children will do better than they're doing. You can hope that your job will be more peaceful. You can have faith and you can have hope. But that alone will not change it. Faith and hope is a mindset. It lives right here. Lives in our soul. Lives in our spirit. But you know where love lives? If I can say it like this, it loves in our hands. It loves in our mouth. It it lives in our mouth. It lives in our ears when we stop giving our opinions and we start listening with compassion to someone who needs to talk to someone. You see, love is an action. I don't say to my wife, I love you, and then go somewhere else. I say to my wife things like this, and she does this for me. I don't ever want you to think that I'm the better one in our relationship because I'm not. She trained me. She raised me up from being just a child to being able to love in ways that I never thought were possible. But I love her in ways when I'm going to the kitchen to get me something, love says, can I get you something while I'm there? How can I help you today? What would lighten your load today? How could I take a burden off of your life? today what can I do to express love in our church how can we love one another many of you have heard about the fire that broke out in Alan Geraldine's house what's been a couple of weeks ago now maybe somewhere in that time frame and I remember Contacting Felicia, is there anything we can do to help? Do they need food? Do they need clothing? Do they need money? Whatever. 
What is, is there anything we can do? She said, not right now. She said, they're okay right now. Said They've moved in with one of her sisters, one of their daughters, and, and they have a roof over their head and clothes to put on their back and food to eat. But in the last couple of weeks, there have been opportunities to be able to help them. Someone put a GoFundMe page up. And many of you, I know, have already given to that GoFundMe project. And they're receiving that benefit. Some of you have asked me about, can I give a gift through the church? And the answer to that is absolutely. If you want to help them financially and you want to write a check and just put in the memo, Johnson family, I promise you, as I always have, that if you designate a giving for a particular thing, 100% will go to them. So if you want to give through the church, you can do that. And we'll take care of them. You know what I'm going to ask you to do today? Some of you have already done this. You don't have to duplicate it. But I'd like for everybody hearing my voice today, I'd like for you to bring a card next Sunday. It doesn't have to have a gift in it. doesn't have to have money in it. But I want you to take an ink pen or a pencil, or for some of you a crayon, And I want you to write something in that card to Alan Geraldine and let them know that you are a part of our family and we love you and we're praying for you. And if you ever need anything that I can do to assist you, all you have to do is let me know. What am I saying? I'm talking about love today. I'm talking about an action. Put that card in an envelope, bring it to church with you next week. And when we get them all here, we're going to hand them to Felicia. And Felicia can take them to mom and dad. And you know what I believe? I believe your words of compassion will minister love to them. You say, well, I don't know, my handwriting's not very good. Well, get, let somebody write it for you. I say, well, my, pra- my crayons need to be sharpened. Well, then get you one of those little things and... Do like that and sharpen that puppy up and write it out. I mean, what what my mom used to say, well, where there's a will, there's a way. Let's spread some love to them. There are others in our church that have gone through difficult times. And we've had to express love. So what am I saying? Scripture says there remains faith, hope, and love. Faith and hope. They reside within our spirit man, but love is lived out in our flesh and through our flesh. Come musicians, if you will. While they're coming, I want to direct your thoughts to 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. And you know this story, it's very familiar. I want you to listen to it. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. In the King James Version, it says he had leprosy. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. We don't know her name. 
But she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Verse 2, let me read it again. This young girl had been brought back from the land of Israel and she was serving Naaman's wife. This is what love sometimes looks like. When you are willing to hold someone else's progress in your hand and release it to them in such a way that they can receive what God wants to do for them. This girl did not have to express love, but she chose to. She was taken captive by the very man who was taken by leprosy. And I just picture in my mind one day as as Naaman is scratching his skin and suffering from this ailment of leprosy that this little slave girl this little girl who had been taken captive no doubt in the battle any male members of her family had been destroyed probably killed or taken captive to become slaves just like she had one day she looked and she saw Naaman scratching and suffering. And instead of saying, good for him, he deserves it. I hope he suffers like that and much more. I hope this is only the beginning of his suffering. Now, I know you've never felt like that before. You've never had feelings and emotions like that. She could have had that emotion. And there are people who would have said that she was justified in it because of the way that she had been treated, because of the abuse that she endured, because of all that. But the Bible tells us very clearly that she looked across the way she saw Naaman scratching suffering and she said all that my master was with the prophet in Israel for if he was there the prophet would heal him of his disease that doesn't sound like hate to me That doesn't sound like retribution to me. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like love. It sounds like the release of something towards someone else that would set them free. So what I'm saying, love is the greatest of these. Have your faith. Yes, by all means, develop your faith. Hope for the future. By all means, yes, live in a spirit of expectation and hope. Expect the best at all times. You've heard somebody say that before. Do that. But when it comes down to it, there are times that you're going to have to get your hands out. And you're going to have to go help someone. 
so that they can experience the love that will set them free. Stand with me if you will. We're going to close with communion this morning. And I just want to say that if you're a Christian and you're here today, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We allow for open communion here. We're not one of those churches that says if you're not a member here, you can't partake. If you know Jesus and you want to have communion with us today, you're part of the body of Christ and we invite you to do that. So I want the ushers to come if you would. They're going to come down front and they're going to serve you. And after you've gotten your elements, just come into the altar area, if you will, and just hold them until we can all partake together. Will you do that? Now listen, I know what time it is. But if you were at Asbury today, you would not be asking what time it is. Can we not just worship today? Can we not just let God be God and do His thing among us? I knew you'd agree with that. So as they begin to sing or as the music starts, if you will, just step out of your seat and come down and let the usher serve you. Stay down here. And if you need to sit on one of the front seats or whatever, you can feel free to do that. But come if you will. Do we have a video up there today? Good. I have the thumbs up. That's good.
Let's do it one more time. Come on, open your mouth and say, I need you. I need you. Let me hear you. You need me. You need me. For we're all. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Stand with me. Agree with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is His will. It is His will that every need be supplied. You are. talk to you today. I need you and you need me. Isn't that true? When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes this to the body of Christ so that we can know how important the body of Christ is. He talks about how that many just don't have the right idea of what communion is even all about. It's not only for us to remember what Jesus has done for us by shedding his blood, by, by laying his flesh down upon that cross, but it is so that the body of Christ can be in unity together. And it is to build the body of Christ together. He even looks in chapter, and writes in chapter 11, he says, some of you come for the Lord's Supper and you eat all the food up before anybody else gets here. You've already eaten all the wings before the people got off work to be able to come and have some. Because it's all about you and what you like. And what he's saying is, is that when the body comes together to take of the Lord's Supper, that we are to do so with other people in mind. Because it it builds and strengthens the body of Christ. So I'm going to ask you this today as we partake of this Lord's Supper. I want you to not only think about yourself and is there anything there that needs to be placed under the blood of Christ. But I also want you to think about your, your, your family, your church family, your people worship with you week in and week out. We've got some people that have been coming the last few weeks. I'm not even sure that I know who you all are, but I'm glad you're here. And if you're saved and if you're part of the body of Christ, then you're one of us. I love you, Corey. You come all the time. I love you today, sir. Tell me your name again. Simba, that's what I thought. K something, Kirsten, I was close. I know you, you've been here the last three, four, five, 18 weeks. Cortez is back, he's been here. He was here in our youth group, how many of you remember that? He's married now and has a family. Or, or Darius, that's your brother. And I said, I'm sorry about that. I, 
said that earlier. It's good to see you all, and you're all part of the family of God. We're in this thing together, and guess what? We're going to make it with God's help. We're going to love like we've never loved before. That's the future of our church. We've been talking about a five-year vision for our church, and one of the things that you're going to see is we're going to start developing ways that we can become closer and closer together. So as we receive this communion today, I want us to do it with others in mind because we need to let God be God. Do you agree with that? And so Paul said, I want to remind you that Jesus took the bread in his hand and he, he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, take this and eat it. Will you take the bread? And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Will you take the cup? Now will you just lift your hands and take a moment and worship the Lord. Just use your hands, use your mouth, use your vocal cords, just lift up Jesus, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, sing it, will you? Yeah. 
listen intently to what I believe is a word from the Lord for you this morning. My child, I want to encourage you today to keep believing in my promises. I have not left you and you are not alone. I have prepared for you a very specific blessing that is soon to be poured out upon you. I am, as it were, refilling the cup of blessing that you have tasted of so many times in your life. But prepare your heart because what I'm about to do will exceed any blessing that you've ever received before. But I need for you to trust me so that the timing will be right. Know this, in your waiting, you are not alone. I've placed around you a family of believers who have you covered and will strengthen you in your weak days. I have sent angels to flutter around you and to stir up the atmosphere of blessing. And soon they will bring and bestow upon you the gift that I have with your name on it. And when I bless you in this way, my name will be exalted in you. People will say I would have never believed that that individual would have come through victorious in that situation. But you see, they haven't been praying for you the way that the Spirit of God has been praying for you. Because when you didn't know how to pray, and when others did not know how to pray, I sent my Spirit to pray for you. And through you. And because of the prayers of the Holy Spirit, blessings are prepared and blessings will be released into your life. And you will be blessed because of it. So, my child, on this day, know that I love you with an everlasting love. And I am in control. Trust me, therefore, and wait upon me, and I will do the work in your life. In Jesus' name, I thank you for that, Lord. Will you just open up your voices and just give Him praise today?